Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, we have just started a new series this semester. We're calling it Behold. And in this series, we're going to be walking through the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. So in John's Gospel, Jesus equates himself with God by saying, I am, which is God's name. We learned about in Exodus, right? God says that's who he is. And Jesus uses that, and then he brings this qualifier seven times. And that's what we want to do is we want to behold Jesus for who he truly is. Beholding Jesus was on John's heart in his gospel when he, when he wrote it. So let me show you this. In the introduction of John's gospel, John 1.14 it says this, and the word became flesh, that's talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now the word there, seen, in some translations is beheld. It's the idea of behold. And the Greek meaning of this word is so cool. I've got a definition up there. It's to observe intently to grasp the significance, or to concentrate on and be impacted by. And so John wants us to get around Jesus, to observe him intently, to concentrate on Christ, and to be impacted by him. That was his purpose in writing. And that's our goal on Thursday nights as we walk through these I am statements. We want to, as a community, gather around the person of Jesus and behold who he really is. And worship him. That's our heart behind the media fast, right? So um, I hope you guys are enjoying that. We started that on Sunday. Great timing, right? The Chiefs win the AFC Championship game, and then I can't be on my phone at all. It's like, what? But uh, I think it's from the Lord, right? I don't know if that's a, an issue um, for you, but it was for me. I'm, I'm fasting from podcasts and my web browser on my phone. And so I've totally found myself driving in silence and just enjoying the presence of the Lord. I found myself reaching for my phone to think, oh, I need to know this stat. Like, nope, it's like there's no web browser. Okay, back in the pocket, right? It's like, oh. But it's been so rich, and I hope you're engaging with that. If you are not, you can start right now. Um, We are fasting from any sort of media that you feel kind of dominates your mind and your life, and as we fast, we're trying to worship Christ with our hearts. So come with us. Let's do it together. Here we go. Last week, Brian started the I am statements, and he talked about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. What a great chapter in John chapter 6, this back and forth. And we saw how Jesus is demanding our total surrender. We can't just come halfway with Jesus. It's got to be all of us. Great message. And so tonight, we're just moving through John. We're looking at the next I am statement in John chapter 8. So why don't you open your Bible to John 8. We're really going to look at one verse tonight and just meditate on it. We're going to look at a lot of different parts of the Bible that give context to this verse. But really, we're just going to sit and soak in one verse as Jesus makes this amazing claim. So let's read John 8 verse 12 together. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
What a statement. I am the light of the world. Let's just hone in on the first half of that verse. It's a massive claim to say you're the light of the world. I mean, just imagine someone making that claim today. I think we would think, what are you talking about? But even more so in Jesus' context, because he's tying into themes throughout the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you that. So what did Jesus mean to his audience when he said, I am the light of the world? What did that mean when people heard him say that? What did they think? First of all, he meant, I am Yahweh. I'm the same God that led Israel out of slavery in the book of Exodus. So he's making that claim because he's tying into the I am statements. And, and this is a bold claim. Right after, you see in verse 13, right away, the response to Jesus is, how do you have the authority to say that? You're like saying things about yourself. How can you do that? And so it's a bold claim. Let's, uh, let's learn a bit about the Feast of Booths, shall we? This helps bring some context. You haven't heard that sentence very often. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles helps bring context to what Jesus did, saying, I'm the light of the world. So the Feast of Booths, it was a big deal in Jesus' day. It's a Jewish pilgrimage feast. There were three of them in their yearly calendar. And what that meant was every Jewish male was supposed to travel to Jerusalem to the temple for this feast. And he would, they would um, bring tithes and offerings um, to sacrifice to God. And so Jerusalem, the temple, was packed with people. Packed with people. And they were, they were building these tents or these booths, and they would sleep in them for eight full days. So that's kind of cool. They were commemorating and celebrating and remembering the 40 years that they wandered in the desert where God led them through the wilderness. So just to think about how can we relate to this, think about um, K-State on a game day. Think about all the RVs and the tents, the, the campers, all the food, people making a whole weekend out of it, people descending upon Manhattan. I mean, traffic gets crazy, and people from all over the state are coming to Bill Snyder Family Stadium. And uh, it's a big deal. Now, multiply that by at least 10, and you've got the Feast of Booths. And then let it last eight full days and nights, and it's all that you're doing is going to the temple and celebrating that's what we're talking about. This was a spectacle. This was a big deal. The celebration centered around the temple, and in this celebration, it included the lighting of four massive torches in the temple. And, and as they lit the torches every night, it was this um, massive deal, like just dancing, singing, um, reading scripture, celebrating God as their light. They would light these torches and they would burn all night. Scholars have said that the light of these torches, I've got a picture of it here, the light of these torches were so bright that the entire city of Jerusalem was lit up by these. And so it was a spectacle. And the reason they would do this, these torches, was it was a way of remembering God's presence among them in the wilderness. They were, they were reading Exodus 13 as a part of this celebration and they were remembering God's presence. Look at Exodus 13. This is one of the verses they would read at the Feast of Booths. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And so the presence of God physically manifested 
there with the people in this pillar of fire. That would have been wild. And, and it was with them in the wilderness. And so Jesus is in the temple during this festival. We know that from 8 verse 20. He's, where he said this was in the temple during this festival. And they just probably lit these massive torches. And Jesus kind of steps forward and says, I am the light of the world. I am Yahweh. I'm the same God that led you out of slavery. You're celebrating this. It's about me. And I think everyone who heard him like fell back in their chair like, what are you talking about? And then you can see that is their response. But that's not all Jesus is claiming. There's lots of themes in the Old Testament about light. And so he's also claiming that Jesus, he is the source of clarity and leadership. Look at Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is not only equating himself with Yahweh, but he's saying that his presence and leadership brings life and direction and clarity in the darkness. His presence brings truth where there's confusion. When you and I wonder, when we, we don't know how to think about something, when we're confused, when, when maybe there's like murkiness in our life about a relationship or a decision or, or something that's going on, man, Jesus is the light of the world. He lights the path before us. What he's saying to you and me, he's saying, look to me, follow me, build your life on my words. He's saying, I am the light of the world. Man, I need this in my life. Like there's, there's so much confusion today. It's hard to know what's true, what's right or wrong. It's hard to know who to believe, right? And you can see this on campus too where wherever there's like opposition to God, I feel like confusion reigns. This question of, of just even what is good, what is bad, our, our culture is in desperate need of clarity. And Jesus is saying, that's me. Another claim that he makes, he's saying he is the deliverer, the Messiah, the savior of the nations. Another verse that they read during the Feast of Booths was Psalm 27. Listen to this. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus is saying, Psalm 27, that's me. I'm your salvation. And then there's multiple places in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah, and they, they equate the Messiah with light. Let's look at one of those in Isaiah 9-2. This is a Christmas verse. Actually, Robbie preached on this at Christmas Challenge, and he like, turned all the lights out in the ballroom. You remember this? We kind of sat in the dark and thought about darkness and deep darkness. So let's read it again. This is about the Messiah. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Or consider Isaiah 49.6. God says this to the Messiah in Isaiah 49. God says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he said, I'm the Messiah. I'm Yahweh, I'm the Messiah. I'm bringing light to all the nations. This isn't just for Israel. This is for the whole world. I am the light of the world. 
It's amazing. What else did he mean? Another thing he meant is that he's the source of life. Now, you can see this at the end of 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of life. And this is such a theme in John's gospel. He uses this word life 40 times. John is just hammering this idea of life over and over again. Jesus is the source of life. So let me just run you through a few of these. In John 1, John starts his gospel and says, in him was life. In John 3, um, after the Nicodemus conversation, John writes, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, right? John 3.16. In John 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, hey, if you ask me, I would have given you living water, and you never thirst again. So this life theme is there. John 6, Brian talked about that, the bread of life. Right here, he says he's the light of life in John 8. In John 10, Jesus talks about Satan and says Satan's come to kill and steal and destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have abundant life. And then even at the end of John's gospel, he, he like tells us in John 20 why he wrote the book. And he says, so that you would believe, and by believing, you would have life in his name. So right here, Jesus is the light of life. He's the source of life. Now, just think about the sun, shall we? Let's take a little break from meditating on this verse, and let's think about the sun. What a day yesterday. I hoped today was going to have a little more sunshine, but man, yesterday felt like spring. I don't know if you just like sat outside in your shorts and just like let it bake you a little bit, but I got a picture of this. This was actually this morning, or yesterday morning, <laughs> and uh, so we show up to Robbie's house, and it's a little bit chilly. It's not bad or anything, but Robbie's not there yet, and the garage door's locked, and so we're like hanging out, and this is like, we were just like, basking in the sun, right? The sun, man, it brings such health and goodness to my soul, like I need it. And that's a good picture. I mean, Mitch is soaking in it, isn't he? (laughs) The sun is the source of everything in our world. I mean, if you think about all of the energy, like scientifically, in our world, it's traced back to the sun. The sun provides for everything. Every animal that eats the grass and and us who eat both the grass and the animals, we all get that energy from the sun. It's so powerful, we have to hide our skin from it, right? We gotta put sunscreen on or we gotta put sunglasses on or else our eyes will get damaged. Actually, I grew up um, near the equator and I didn't wear sunglasses at all as a kid and I have permanent eye damage, like, there's this thing that I have. I've been in the eye doctor, and they're like, yeah, you must have grown up near the equator. It's like, yeah. The sun just ruins us, but it's so powerful. Without light, humans literally go crazy. There have been studies done on the effects of darkness, like total darkness, mentally and physically, and it is nuts. I mean, very quickly, people go insane. They start hallucinating, seeing visions. They don't know what's going on. People that have tried to live in complete darkness or just experiment with it, they'll like sleep for 30 hours straight, wake up, and they're like, they feel like they just took a nap. They have no idea the concept of time. It's wild. We need light. We need the sun. And I felt that yesterday. I was just like, all is right in the world. Like, finally, the sun is shining. 
And just like that, we need Jesus. He is the source of life. That's what John is saying. He's the source of life. So let's talk about our painting this week. This is one thing we're doing with this series. I love it. We're like incorporating art. And um, so every I am statement is going to have some kind of art. And so this week, Emma Sturm painted this painting as she meditated on Jesus being the light of the world. Give it up for Emma, right? Let's go. And so if you can see it here, the, the flowers, this field of poppies, and the sun shining on them, bringing life to them. She um, wrote me about this, that uh, poppies, this flower, they're a common representation of death or sacrifice. And so um, like at the Veterans Day Parade, we, we use poppies to commemorate the sacrifice. And so let me read some of what was on Emma's heart as she painted this. I think it's so cool. She says, uh, we can naturally, unfortunately, represent death through our words, our actions, our thoughts, all of it bound to death in sin. And yet, the field is still beautiful in its image because of the light of light, the light of life. It's granted through the sun. The sun is an allegory to the sun, S-O-N, Jesus that oversees our own lives in the same way. Flowers rely on the sun to come up every morning for them to survive. In the same way, Jesus, the sun, oversees us. We are not hopeless if we choose to let him impact us and allow us to grow. So cool. So thanks, Emma, for for doing that. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Jesus is the source of everything. Okay, last of all of of these claims is this, that Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, I overcome and illuminate sin and evil. In the scripture, there's this cosmic battle between darkness and light. You see it um, from Genesis and on. The world, I don't know about you, I feel this. The world feels dark sometimes, doesn't it? It feels hard to believe the light of Christ is truly pushing back the darkness, but that is John's claim. Listen to John 1, where he says, In him was life, that's Christ, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Jesus has brought the light of life and salvation into the darkness. He's pushing back evil and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, wherever his kingdom goes. And then there's this theme also that light brings hidden things to the surface. It exposes what is there. In darkness, we can't see, but light shines and we can see clearly. And so God is exposing hidden things through Christ. In John 3, let me read this about the exposure. This is really cool. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I mean, that part of the verse, just just think about campus. And I mean, it's just like Jesus is light, and you know what darkness feels like. And it's there. It's the opposite. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's beautiful. Jesus is the light of the world. He exposes sin and evil and darkness and he's pushing back the kingdom of Satan. So, let's recap. I've said a lot of things about Jesus and that's the series. Behold Jesus, right? Here's what I've said about Jesus. I've got him up here on a slide. I've said he is Yahweh, the same God that led the people out of slavery. He brings clarity and leadership. He's the deliverer, the Messiah, the savior of all nations. He is the source of life, all life. And he overcomes and illuminates sin and evil. So I wanna just make this personal. I wanna kind of pause our meditation on this verse and kind of turn the focus on us, okay? This is who Jesus is. It's amazing. This is the God I worship. He's the light of the world. I just want to ask you, do you believe all of this about Jesus? Do you really believe it? And I don't mean like, yeah, yeah, I know this. Like I've been around church. I believe that. I mean, will you stake your life on this? That Jesus is this, the light of the world. Belief, do you believe this? This is a massive theme in John. It's like what John's all about, really. Remember, I mentioned that life was a theme. He uses life 40 times. Well, John uses the verb form of believe 85 times. And it's like the, the majority of times it's used in the New Testament, John is, is right there. He's using this word. It is the reason he wrote his letter, his book, his gospel. He even tells us that. Look at John 20. I mentioned the purpose statement of John. Here's what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He means John, the gospel of John. But these, the ones he wrote, there's seven signs he writes about. Miracles, things that point to Jesus. He says these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see how they're connected? By really believing that Jesus is who he said he was, we experience true life. So I want to lean into this a little bit. Will you believe that Christ is the source of clarity and leadership? That was one of my points, right? Psalm 119, his word is a lamp to my feet, like he guides where I want to go. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? For me, as I've been meditating on that question, like, am I staking my life on Jesus being the light to my path? I've been thinking about um, parenting, and that's, uh, not many of you can relate, right? But you got parents, so I got kids, and um, right now I have three teenage daughters, and um, let me tell you, parenting, I just want you to have grace on your parents. I don't know, you know, what they've done. I know they're not perfect, because I'm a parent, I, I relate to that, um, but man, parenting is challenging. It's hard. It's hard to know, like, I have all this vision and these desires for my kids, but it's really hard to know what's right. It's hard to know what to do and what to not do. It's hard to know um, what to limit and what to not limit. There's so many value questions, so many decisions to make in every moment. And teenagers just push on you as a, a parent. They just, they want more freedom. And that's good, right? I'm not trying to like 
control them, but it's hard. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how to be a dad. And man, three teenage girls, the emotions are off the charts. And I love them. They're like my treasure. And I want to protect them. But I got to let them go, and I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, so just have grace on your parents. Maybe an application from tonight. Just call your parents and say, I love you. And that's it. Say, Nate told me to tell you I love you. (laughs) It's hard. And so, man, as I've been thinking about, do I believe Jesus is the light of life that guides my path? I don't want to parent with my own wisdom, right? Proverbs says that. Don't lean on your own wisdom, your own understanding. I don't want to just, like, lead my kids with what I think's right. I want to go to Jesus, I want to depend on Jesus. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me know what the right thing to do is. And I know I'm going to make mistakes, but I need grace. So that's probably the the place where it's just really real for me. And um, where is that for you? Like, do you believe Jesus is the source of clarity? That he's the word of God that lights the path in front of you? Where are you confused? What's unclear in your life? Where do you feel desperate? Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think about this certain issue. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with your parents. So you're like on the other side of this thing. You're like, I don't know how to relate to my parents. I'm confused. I don't know how to talk to them. Maybe there's a a relationship with someone else in your family that feels really heavy or dark, and you just don't know what to do. What is it for you? Do you believe? Are you going to stake your life on the fact that Jesus lights the path before you? He's the way you want to walk in. Or what about this, this uh, claim I made? Jesus said he's the Messiah, the deliverer, the savior of the nations. Like, do you believe that? Do you believe that what this world needs most is Christ? And I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, like, oh, our country's messed up and, I mean like the world, like every culture. Like there, there are people so different from us, right? Let's just pick a, a country. My, my sister lived in Tajikistan. Okay, so let's pick Tajikistan. You've probably never heard of that one, right? It's one of the stans, Tajikistan. There are Tajik people right now. Their culture is so different than ours. If we lived with them, we would be so confused about so many things. I know my sister was. The thing that they need the most is not money, my brother-in-law helped to bring clean water to them. They're, they're agricultural, rural people. Of course they need that, but that's not their greatest need. Their greatest need, the light of the world. What they need the most right now is Jesus Christ. And that's not narrow-minded to say. That's just true. That is the need of the nations. He is the Messiah of the world. Are you staking your life on that? Like, do you believe that? Or what about the claim I put up there, Jesus is the source of life. All good things come from Jesus. He's like the sun that Mitch and I were soaking in. He brings life. I think with this um, media fast, it's a great time to lean into that. What do you go to for escape? And if you cut that off, how are you feeling when you don't have that escape? It's just so easy when we get stressed. I mean, I know it. I do it too. It's so easy to run to entertainment, to just want to check out. I just want to check out. Jesus is saying, no, I'm the light of the world. You need me. 
I'm the source of all good. You don't need to check out. Put your phone down. Listen to me. Jesus can fulfill your deepest desires. He's the source of life. Okay, this one is not fun. I'm gonna, here we go, turning the the screws on you. Okay, so I talked about how Jesus exposes sin. Do you believe that it is right to confess your sin? Do you like stake your life on it? That that's where life is found when you drag your sin into the light of Christ. And so we made this announcement about sexual restoration groups and I'm sure some of you were like, I do not want to talk about that. I just want to keep that in the dark. That's a part of my life that, frankly, this group doesn't need to know about. And I just want to say, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. And if you drag your sin into his light, there is freedom for you. And it is beautiful. It is what you need. For, For me, just part of my story, before I submitted my life to Christ, I was a liar. I was so good at deceit. I could show you whatever you wanted to see, and I was just kind of spinning things to different people. I was hiding. I was telling half-truths. There was all kind of hidden sin. But when Christ broke through, it transformed me. It totally changed my life. Right, Right when I accepted Christ, I ran right to community and I just confessed. I just like poured out this hidden sin, this junk in my life to a really good friend. And it's a life-changing moment I will never forget. So I just ask you, do you believe that dragging your sin into the light is good? And I don't mean like you can just nod and say, yeah, Nate, I believe it. Like, will you do it? Will you confess your sin? It's exactly what John had in mind when at his, as he was older, he wrote 1 John. I want to read this. This is such a powerful verse. John writes later in life, he says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this this verse because there's a connection between fellowship and confession. Do you see it? If we like lie, we say like, no, I I don't want to talk about that. Like I don't. Or we justify. A lot of times we have sin and we kind of have a reason for it. We like justify it, but we keep it hidden. Or maybe we're just defensive. And we're just like, don't, don't come at me about sin. Like, I won't talk about that. Any of those, we do not have fellowship with God. And that's what we were made for. We were made to know Christ. So John's equating this fellowship and confession. And then fellowship with each other. Like if you're just hiding things from your friends, are you really friends? Like do they really know you? John says no. You don't have fellowship. But if you confess your sin, you have fellowship with each other. And so that's a huge like passion of ours, that challenge. And I just want to encourage you, if you're part of life group, Grab somebody. That's actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's an application that's coming. We'll get there. Just got too excited. 
Okay, here's how I wanna close tonight. We have actually just meditated. What we've been doing is just, just circling half of a verse. It's John, John 8, 12. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Let's read the second half, shall we? It's amazing what he claims. Jesus continues, and he, this bold claim, I'm the light of the world. Then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Man, I want to follow Jesus. And so here's my application. Will you follow Jesus? Let me show you what this Greek word follow means. It's so cool. It's an intense word. So get ready, buckle up. This word means to cleave steadfastly to one. Cleave means like cling for dear life. Right, to leave and cleave for marriage, you cling to your spouse, right? Following Jesus means cleaving steadfastly to him, conforming wholly to his example, means I wanna be just like Jesus as much as I can. I wanna follow him. And then this is intense. It means in living and if need be in dying also that we would follow the light of the world. And if you do, you don't walk in darkness. So my, my first question is, will you follow Jesus? Will you let Jesus, the light of the world, define your life? Will you cleave steadfastly to him? Will you listen to his word and let it light the path in front of you? Will you let Jesus be the one that defines reality and truth? Or will you hide from him? Will you walk in the darkness? Jesus is calling you right now. He's the light of the world. He wants you to follow him with all that you are. It might be that some of you are in here, um, you got drugged here by a friend, or you're just checking this out, and maybe you have never truly followed Jesus in the biblical sense, right? To cleave steadfastly to him. To follow him, to become like him, right? To conform to him. Maybe you've heard about Christ. Maybe you've been around Christians before, but Jesus doesn't define your life. Tonight, right now, is a chance. You can follow Jesus with all that you are. You can choose to follow Jesus. You can choose to go all in with Christ. I want to read 2 Corinthians. Will you follow Jesus? This is a beautiful verse. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's talking about creation. He's talking about Genesis 1. The same God who said that. Like when God spoke, the sun happened and the stars. If you read Genesis 1, it's crazy. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Maybe that verse can be for you tonight that you can choose to follow Jesus. Talk to your life group leader. Talk to a friend that brought you tonight. Come at the end of challenge and pray with me. Find somebody else. Do something. We gave you these little sheets of paper. You can use your phone and you can actually check a box that says, I wanna talk to somebody about salvation through Jesus and we will reach out to you tomorrow. Will you follow Jesus? Tonight could be the night. And the second one, this is where I got ahead of myself. Will you confess your sin? Will you confess your sin? There's been a part of tonight where uh, I tried to turn the screws on you a little bit, make you uncomfortable, make you squirm a little bit, right? Everybody loves the idea of light when it guides your path and 
And when it's like, oh yeah, Jesus is amazing, but when it forces you to confess sin, that's not fun. And so I want to ask you right now, will you confess sin? Maybe there's something specific as I've been talking that Jesus is kind of like putting his finger on in your heart. The Holy Spirit's prompting you like, I need to tell somebody this. Will you do that? And then last of all, will you let your light shine? Something so cool about this light idea is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world, talking to his followers. And so it's not just Jesus that's the light of the world. If we follow him, we conform to his example, we become agents and ambassadors of light. Like believers, this community, one thing that's like so encouraged my heart just recently, the last couple weeks, is like hearing stories of how you all have been ambassadors of the kingdom of light in other people's lives. And just hearing about this kingdom advancing has like so drawn my heart to worship. And so will you let your light shine? Will you be the light of the world? You're not gonna be Jesus, but we can be his people together. So I'm gonna have the worship team come up And here's how I want to close as they come up. Um, There's actually one prophecy I didn't get to. It had to be cut on the chopping block of the sermon prep, which is uh, always sad. But there's a prophecy in Zechariah 14 that's amazing. And it's this uh, kind of weird thing. It's talking about the day of the Lord. And, And Zechariah writes, like, in that day, there's not going to be the sun, but there's going to be light. And it's wild. It's like, what's he talking about? Well, John... When he's really old, he writes Revelation, the last book in our Bible. And he ties into Zechariah. And Jesus is the light of the world. We're not going to need the sun. So I want to just, our Behold series, remember, the, we're trying to like contemplate deeply, concentrate on, right? We're trying to be impacted by Jesus. He says he's the light of the world. So I just want to get around this. John talks about this. This is the future reality of of Jesus' followers. That's amazing. Revelation 21, this is how we're going to end. It's on the screen. And I saw no temple in the city, right? So this is actually Jerusalem's coming out of the sky, and God is going to dwell with us together. And so he says, there's no temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Jesus. We're not going to need the sun. We're not going to need these massive torches to burn to remember God. We're going to have Jesus, the light of the world. By its light will the nations walk, right? We talked about that, right? The Tajiks. Those that believe in Jesus, they will walk in the light of Jesus. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates, the city. The gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. And so this kingdom of darkness that you experience, that we live in, I mean, it's hard and it doesn't feel great. But there is an end date on the kingdom of darkness because Jesus is the light of the world. So let's worship him. Let's behold him. Let's pray together as we worship. Lord God, 
Jesus, you are the light of the world. And we want our hearts around that idea. And so I pray as we worship you, Lord, help us to behold you rightly. In Jesus' name, in your name, Lord, amen.